Well, today we will begin to take a look at the book of Reve the Revelation of Jesus Christ. We made it here, huh? How long so, has it been? Almost five years getting to this point, yeah, from starting. And that's just from John. That's starting from John, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, of course, the last book in your Bible. I'm excited to be here at this book, that is, you know, and excited that you all are here this morning, too. Um, I would like to encourage you guys, though, to invite friends, family, and co-workers, you know, who don't presently have a place uh, where they're in fellowship or maybe they're not in the Word of God at all. Uh, invite them to come out and join us on Sunday mornings. Well, we got room. We'll find more chairs, and we've got more room, and Dustin and Laura... And sit on a cab countertop over here, right? <laughs> but, or at least lead them to the webpage, aloveoutreach.com. We post all these teachings up, up there, and um, Lord willing, these teachings and revelations uh, will be out there as long as many of the teachings we've done in the past. But I really believe that there are people all around us every day that need to hear the word of the Lord that need to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just like we have. So I just want to encourage you to step out by faith and point people to the Word of the Lord. Again, uh, you know, this is a, I mean, I'm not the only teacher of the Bible, so I mean, there's plenty of places you can point them. But if they have no place to go, invite them to come here or, or like I said, point them to our, our website. But so if everyone's there, let's go ahead and get started with verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Now, let's make sure that as we get started here that we understand what verse 1 means when it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ. First of all, the word revelation speaks of a, a disclosure of facts, a disclosure of facts that were previously unknown. So let me repeat that. A revelation is a disclosure of facts that were previously unknown. And these facts are typically dramatic and surprising. Okay, so that's what a revelation means. So, for example, if I were to say to you, I have a revelation for you this morning. Penny and I are expecting our fourth child, right? That would be dramatic, and that would be very surprising, right? Our kids are all grown up. We have one grandchild on the earth and one grandchild in the womb. I'm 50, and Penny is, well, we'll just leave it at that. But that would be dramatic and a surprising revelation, at least to us it would be, right? So again, a revelation is simply a disclosure of facts that were previously unknown. And these facts are typically dramatic and surprising. So what we are about to study is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is the most important and most amazing revelation ever given. And it is Jesus himself who is about to give this revelation to us as we study this book. 
Jesus, through the Apostle John, will disclose some things to us here in this book. He'll make some things known to us, right? There are things that he wants his servants to know. Now, do you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ? And if so, then you are to be a servant of Jesus Christ, okay? And this book would therefore be written to you. Now, where did Jesus get this revelation from? Where did he get this information from? Well, verse 1 tells us that God gave it to him so, so that Jesus could reveal it to all his servants. And verse 1 also tells us the means by which we have received this revelation. It says that Jesus sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. And then what was John's part in it? Verse 2 says, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Now, how did John bear witness? Well, he wrote everything down that he had seen and heard from the angel of the Lord. And God has made sure that you and I have this revelation in our Bibles today. So this is indeed is a very powerful book that we're now beginning to go through. These words, as John says here in verse 2, are the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So do you see that there in verse 2? John is going to bear witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So do you see what I mean when I say that everyone needs to hear this book, right? This book is of utmost importance. And this is such an awesome revelation that verse 3 here says, Blessed or blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So we see a couple of things here already in the first three verses that tell us that time is of the essence. Verse 1 tells us that these things written in this book are things which must shortly take place, right? Verse 1 tells us that. Then verse 3 tells us that the time is near, okay? And verse 3 also tells us that as we go through this book together, we're going to be blessed. But I'd like to tell you this morning that we are going to be doubly blessed. Now, why do I say that? Why will we be doubly blessed? Well, because verse 3 tells us that blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And we're going to do both. We're going to both read and hear the words of this prophecy. Okay? I'll be reading, you'll be reading, I'll be hearing, you'll be hearing. And those that will listen to these teachings by audio, they can hear and read along as well. Now, I, for one, have a testimony in my life personally that's directly related to verse 3 here. You see, I came to be born again by reading this book, by reading the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It was the summer of 1986 for me. I was 21 years old, and I sat one day in my apartment, and I read this book in its entirety. I read it, you know, the whole, the whole thing at one sitting at my dining room table. And then I got on the floor right there in my apartment, and I repented of my sin at that time, and I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ as not only my Savior, 
but as my Lord as well. So I can personally testify to the fact that when you read and you hear the words of this book, you will be blessed and the scriptures don't lie. But there's one other part to verse three there that we must not overlook. And that is that we must keep those things which are written in it. Very important part that we must keep those things which are written in it. You see, this falls right in line with what I preach to you all week after week, and that is that we must be doers of the Word of God and not forgetful hearers, right? We've got to do, we've got to put it into practice in our lives, what we study in the Word of God. Otherwise, it's, what is all this about? If we just come and hear something and we forget it and we don't go live it, right? But the Word of God must be lived out in our daily lives. You know, many people profess Christianity today, especially here in America, but not many people live in accordance with the commands and the teachings of the Word of God. And this is why Christians can be and, and are called hypocrites in many cases, right? And it's also why many Christians live their lives today without the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we must remember that God has called us to be set apart, right? To be holy. That's all being holy means, is that we're set apart. We're, we're not to live in, in the ways of the world around us, but rather we are to live in a manner that lines up with the teachings of the Word of God, right? There is a, a transformation that takes place in the life of a person who is born again. There, there is that time when a person comes to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And at that time, you know, the Bible tells us that old things pass away and behold, all things become new. And you see, many people love the thought of the old things passing away, but they never walk in the all things becoming new. That's a step of faith that a new believer takes, that's a step of faith that all of us take really on a daily basis, is we've got to walk in the all things that become new part, right? And, uh, you know, a lot of people like the fact that God gives them a clean slate, uh, you know, to wash away their sins, but then they just go fill that slate back up again by, by continuing to walk in sin. And they believe that lie that, that grace gives them the liberty to sin and, and still be saved. But as born-again Christians, we are to be in the world, Jesus said, but we're not to be of the world, right? And this applies to our daily lives, like I'm saying, not to the stickers we put on our windows or our car windows or our T-shirts that we wear. It, it actually applies to our lives in the world and not of the world. So we are exhorted here in verse 3 to keep those things which are written in this book as well. And again, if we profess, if we profess excuse me, Christianity and do not live in accordance with the things written in the Word of God, then what we have is a religion, okay? not a relationship. And there's a difference. There's many religions and there's many people that walk in religion and they keep God in a box for Sunday morning or they keep him just for Sunday mornings alone. And we, we can't be that. We're not supposed to be that when we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, just like 
we were singing these songs this morning, you know, set a fire down in my soul, right? What does that mean? Well, let, let me live for you, God. I want more of you, God. I want to live for you. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, another analogy that comes to my mind is, is me and my wife have a marriage license, right? But let's just say that we never, ever lived together after we got that, that license, we never had an intimate relationship in any way, shape, or form with each other after we got that piece of paper, that marriage license. Maybe we called each other once in a great while, or, or maybe we've seen each other once a week, say on Sundays, we would see each other. Well, that's not what a marriage is. That's not a true relationship, okay? All we have is a piece of paper that states that we are legally married, but we have no relationship. And you see, this holds true with our relationship with our Lord God as well. We must love Him in such a way that we live lives that are pleasing to Him, right? He went to such a great length, which we'll see later here, but He went to such a great length to redeem us, to bring us into good standing with God. Jesus shed His blood, okay? And we, so we have to have that deep and personal relationship with him. And this is displayed in the fact that when we hear his word and we study his word like this, we then begin to live it and we go out and we do what it says. Okay, let's move on. In verse four, John will now introduce himself and he tells us who he, you know, who he is writing this letter to. John, it says, verse four, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now pause right there. Asia at this time was a Roman province, okay? It's Asia Minor. It was located in modern day Turkey. There were seven churches there. Um, they, these churches were literal. Um, these places were first century cities where born again Christians lived and, and gathered together. And we will see what these churches were as we read on here. But each one of these churches had their trials. They had their troubles and they had their temptations. And I believe that as we read this, we can relate to these churches today because we have our own trials. We have our own troubles. We have our own temptations. We have our own struggles in this life, right? Some of our trials are, of course, self-inflicted. Right. The paths that we have chosen in life to walk on has led us to trouble, has led us in a certain direction. Other trials are just a result of the fact that we live in a fallen world and then things happen in this fallen world. But we'll have a lot in common with these seven churches, and I believe that we can learn many things from what we'll study here in this book. And as verse four continues, John greets the people of these seven churches by saying, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So as John greets these believers in, um, you know, in these seven churches, he tells them that this greeting is really not from him, but it's from Jesus. And what Jesus gives us, of course, is grace and peace. Grace is, of course, that unmerited favor from God. 
It's something that we did not earn, nor did we deserve God's grace. But Jesus also gives us peace, and peace is what enables us to face the things that we will face in this temporary time that we now dwell on this earth, right? And he's about to address these seven churches that had their trials, that had their troubles and tribulation. They were going through persecution just for being believers, okay? And, and Jesus gives us grace and peace. Jesus gives us a calm and a peace as we go through trials and, and troubles and temptations here on this earth. He is our strength. By His Holy Spirit, He gets us through these things. Even though we can't fathom sometimes how we're ever going to get through it. You know, a trial can be so deep, a, a struggle can come in our lives and be so hard, we wonder how will we ever get through this? But He, and He alone is our peace, and He gives us peace. And the recipients of this letter here were, of course, servants of Jesus Christ. And John refers to Jesus here in verse 4 as him who is and who was and who is to come. You see, all of these believers knew that Jesus was alive and well. They knew he was alive and well, just as he is today. They knew that he had been risen from the dead and they were willing to give their lives for their faith in him. And many of them did. You see, Jesus did not stay in the grave, did he? Yes, he indeed did die, but he was brought back from death. He rose from the grave, right? He rose from the dead. So that made him, and it still makes him, the one who is, okay? So he is the one who is. He's not just simply the one who was. He is the one who is. You see, in a physical sense, when I die, when I die I will simply be the one who was in the eyes of all of you. Let's say I were to die today. I would be the one who was. Yeah, Dave was here. Remember Dave? Yeah, I remember Dave. Yeah, he was. And then you can fill in the blanks. He was an idiot. No, whatever. You fill in the blank, right? But Jesus, however, is in the present tense, right? You can speak of me in the past tense, but Jesus ever lives. Okay, so, so he is the one who is. But he also was the one who was. Right? He was the one who was in that he walked on the earth at one time, didn't he? The whole world knows that. History proves that Jesus was. But the word was there also applies to Jesus in that he always was. Okay? And I want, to, I want us to take a couple of minutes here and I want to remind you all of, of something else that the Apostle John wrote about Jesus Christ. Okay, and we'll find that in the Gospel of John chapter 1. So go ahead and mark this page and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Again, the reason I'm taking you here is I want to talk about the fact that Jesus always was. Okay, So he is the one who is and who was. So in John chapter 1, 
And the first thing I want to do is jump down to verse 14. We'll come back, but I want to jump down to verse 14. Very familiar verses. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I just want you to see that because John is writing about Jesus Christ here. And he says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this was Jesus Christ, the Word that became flesh. And he was full of grace and truth. Now, let's look back at verse 1 here in this same chapter. Speaking of the Word that became flesh. The Apostle John wrote here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So again, Jesus is the one that was because He is the one that has always been. The Word God, right, became flesh and dwelt among us. But the word before he became flesh, before Jesus became flesh, before the word became flesh, he was there in the very beginning when all things were created and all things were created through him. OK, so he is the one who was again. He was the one who was in a couple ways. We know he was here on the earth. Again, history tells us that he was here. But he was also the one in this sense in that he is God who became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? So as we flip back now to Revelation chapter 1, John is stating that Jesus is him who is and who was and who is to come. So we understand that Jesus is him who is, right? Because he's alive and well today and he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We know that he was in that, like I said, he walked on this earth, but he was also there at the beginning of creation, right? The word that, that be, you know, the word that spoke everything into being. If you go back into Genesis and look how God created everything, God is a spirit. The spirit of, the, of God hovered over the earth and God spoke everything into being. God said, let there be light. God said, you read in Genesis, it's all God said, God said, God said. This is the word. Then the word, all those years later, many years later, took on human flesh. And that was Jesus Christ. And that's how we knew him. Okay. So now we also know that he is the one who is to come, as verse 4 also tells us, right? And all through the New Testament, we have studied and we've talked a little about the fact that Jesus will come back to the earth again someday. And that time is drawing nearer and nearer. This, of course, will be his second coming. And as we go on through the book of Revelation here, we will see this fact made very clear to us. So in verse 4, John gives these people of the seven churches a greeting from Jesus, the servants of Jesus Christ. 
And today, again, if we profess to be his servants, it's written to us. He is the one who is and who was and who is to come. Then in verse 5, John will give us more of a description of Jesus Christ. And he says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So let's break down verse five here. Jesus is called the faithful witness. What does that mean? Well, I want you to again mark this page in Revelation and I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one. It's just to the left a little bit from where we are now. It's between Philemon and James. It's a pretty good sized book. Hebrews chapter one. Feel free to use the content sections in the front of your Bible if you need to to find the, this page number because I really want us to all follow along here. Hebrews chapter 1. So again, just to refresh your memory here, why is Jesus called the faithful witness? Why did John call him the faithful witness as we're reading there in Revelation? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So let's pause right there. What's that telling us? It tells us that before the word became flesh, right? Before Jesus came to the earth, God used to speak to mankind in various ways by the prophets. And we have all of that, don't we? We have that in the Old Testament portion of our Bible in many ways, right? We have the prophets and what God spoke through them, right? But again, we know God, the word became flesh and has spoken to mankind now in a completely different way. And verse two tells us here that God has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So again, we see very clearly that Jesus was a part of the Godhead from the very beginning when everything was made. He was there at the time of creation. Then verse three tells us, who being the brightness of his glory, do you see that? Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he, Jesus that is, right? When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so Jesus came, he saw, he conquered. He took care of everything, right? So why did I bring you to these scriptures? Because Jesus is the faithful witness. Jesus is the one that became the witness to us of who God is. He is the express image of God. He is the faithful witness, okay? We can look unto Jesus and see who God is. That's how God has revealed himself. He is that faithful witness. And turning back to Revelation chapter one, 
Again, verse 5 tells us that Jesus is the faithful witness, and it also tells us that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead, it says. Now, we know from the Old Testament, right, that both Elijah and Elisha rose people from the dead. You can go back and you can read those stories, and I encourage you to do that, right? We also know that Jesus rose people from the dead when he walked on the earth as well. So what does it mean here in verse 5 when it says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? Well, all those people that rose from the dead died again, right? How would you like that? <laughs> got to die twice on this earth, right? But Jesus was born from the dead, meaning that he rose to everlasting life. He was born from the dead, never to die again. He rose from the dead to everlasting life. So he has preeminence. He is above all else and above everyone else, right? And in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, we're told that there's salvation in no other name. It says, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He's the King of kings, and we'll study that as we go through this book. And verse 5 here in Revelation 1 also tells us that Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. So the Apostle John in this letter thus far, he goes from giving the servants of Jesus Christ a greeting from the Lord to giving praise to the Lord for who he is. Okay? Again, he's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. And not only this, but verse 5 tells us as well that Jesus is the one who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Do you see that there? Notice the two action words there, loved and washed. Jesus loved us. And to demonstrate this love for us that he had for us, he shed his own blood. And there's no greater love than that. Without the shedding of blood, scripture tells us that there is no remission of sins. Someone had to pay the price for our sin. Someone had to pay the price for the sin of mankind because God wanted a relationship with us. God wanted fellowship with us. And the wages of sin is death. So Jesus took our place and his blood washed away our sins. And you know, that's enough right there that we should praise him daily for that. We should be known as people of praise, right? You know, it's always amazing. I'm not the first to say this, but many people cheer for their football team, right? And, and we'll cheer for our football team today. And, and some of us will even lift up our hands in high fives for our football team because, yeah, that's my team. Yeah, we won. Yeah, we did this, right? You know, and we'll hoot and we'll holler, but we should realize what the Lord has done for us and we should be people of praise. We should be people of worship. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, the Lord said, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white 
as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So again, by the blood of our Lord and Savior, our sins have been washed away. And we should praise him for that. And all of this, why? All of this because of his grace. And all of this has been bestowed upon us because of God's unmerited favor toward us. The Lord has given us peace with God. And I think it's important that we look at some more verses here that, that came to my mind as I was studying this. Mark this page again. Turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. You'll find Psalms in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 103. Verse 11. It says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Now, let's just briefly pause right here because there's an important point made, you know, there in verse 11. And that is, is that God's mercy is toward those who fear him. You see, it's only when a person repents and only when a person begins to reverence God that they experience the mercy of God. Okay, I want to repeat that. It's only when a person repents and begins to reverence God that they will experience the mercy of God. They start to experience all things becoming new. They start to see things differently at that point, right? And when a person does turn to the Lord, verse 12 tells us, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. So what's being said here is, let's say that you and me are walking through a field together, and we come upon a flower in the grass as we walk through this field. And we look at that flower, and we say, oh, how beautiful, right? Beautiful flowers sitting there, right? Then the next day we walk through that same field, but there's just been a windstorm and the flower is no more. It's not there anymore. We say, where's that beautiful flower? It's gone. We don't see it anymore. Where exactly was it? I don't know. I don't remember. It was somewhere around here. Okay. And you see, this is what God knows about our lives. He knows that we're, we're frail. He knows that we need him. He knows that we can be blown away easily by things in this life, right? And our lives are short and our time here is but for a moment. And then that moment is gone. Then verse 17 here says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Okay. To, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. 
So God is loving, God is kind, God is full of grace, God is full of mercy toward all of those that fear Him, toward all of those that remember and do His commandments. And I'm stressing the word do this morning in this teaching, that we must keep the commandments of the word of the Lord and we must live it out. And as we flip back now to Revelation chapter 1, All of this happens because of the fact, as verse 5 says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's why we have all of this. He is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of all honor and glory. And we will see all the reasons why he is as we continue through this book, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then verse six tells us that that Jesus right, has made us kings and priests to his God and father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, something I want to comment on in verse 6 there is the words, to his God and Father. So John is pointing out here, not that we are kings and priests in the sense that we have authority on our own, but rather that Jesus, the attention is being put on Jesus, that Jesus has made us kings and priests in the eyes of God. Jesus has made us kings and priests to God, his Father, right? Again, we've been washed from our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross made us acceptable to God. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions. The sins are behind you. And now we move on, okay? And we turn from our sin and we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord, right? And God does not see us as sinners any longer. Instead, he now sees us as kings and priests because Jesus made us such in his eyes. We are royalty in his eyes. Now, I know I'm taking you all over the scriptures here this morning. We're getting close to being done, but I want you to mark this page again and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2. Just back to the left a little bit from Revelation. First Peter, Chapter Two. Again, feel free to use the content part of your Bible to find these books. Sometimes they're so small in the New Testament, it's hard to to turn to them. But 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 7. It says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Therefore, to you who believe, He is precious. Now, pause right there for a moment because what I want to point out to you here is that when someone repents of their sin and they turn their lives to Jesus as Savior and Lord, 
what happens is, is that a change takes place in that person. The Lord now becomes precious to you at that point, where maybe before he wasn't precious. But at this point, he becomes precious. A person is now a believer and their eyes become open to who Jesus really is. And, and they begin to understand that they needed him all along. And they begin to understand their desperate need for him as they walk through this life. And you know, Satan has done a good job in this life to distract people from a relationship with Jesus Christ by having them either look at other Christians that are hypocrites or, you know, or, or just say, you know, well, this religion, that religion, you know, all of this stuff. Satan wants to distract people from this preciousness of knowing the Lord. Okay. But therefore, it says to you who believe he is precious. And verse seven continues. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You see, people reject Jesus still today, don't they? In my private reading time, I'm back reading through the book of Acts again right now. You know, and Peter was bold to proclaim, you know, after the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers and they were out preaching and teaching Jesus. Peter was bold to proclaim to the Jewish leaders that had crucified Jesus and all of those that took part in that. He was bold to come uh, to um say to them, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, but he didn't hold back. <laughs> he said, you killed him. He was the chief cornerstone. He's the one you rejected. You, you've rejected your Messiah. You've cast him aside. You've killed him. And Peter was bold to proclaim that, right? But people still reject Jesus today, don't they? And all of us have. I know I once did, right? For the most part, people want nothing to do with him. They think that they're just fine on their own. So they live their lives in disobedience to the word of God. And then they stumble through this life as a result. And God loves us so much sometimes that he allows us to stumble to bring us back to him, to bring us to him. And verse 8 says that Jesus becomes an offense to them. Let's read it. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. You see, Jesus came to bring salvation to all the world, not just to a select few. But again, many have and many do just simply reject him. But to those who believe he is precious and they and they, they'll they'll call you Jesus freaks, you know, when Jesus is precious to you. Right. But there's something different about us. And verse nine says, and here's what I wanted to get to. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Right. Do you see those two words there? Royal and priesthood in Revelation. John said that Jesus made us what? Kings and priests. Ro right. Royal priesthood. OK. This is what. The blood of Jesus Christ has done for us. This is what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us in the, eye, in the eyes of God. We are royalty and we are a priesthood. Okay? We don't reject Jesus any longer. Instead, we surrender to his lordship and we follow in the ways of his kingdom. 
We've left the world and its ways behind, and we now are part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus told us, seek first the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 6. Make that your top priority. And verse 9 continues and tells us that he also made us a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, again, I'll tell you, we are to be people of praise. The Lord has redeemed us out of darkness and called us into his marvelous light. We should be praising him for this. This is why we gather like this on Sunday mornings. This is why we gather and we study the word together. This is why we sing songs of praise as we gather, right? Dustin here uses his gifts and he leads us in song. And when he leads us in song, he gives us the opportunity to praise the Lord with our mouths, to lift up our voice in song unto him, to cheer him like you would your football team, but even better because he's given you everlasting life. So we are to be people of praise. You see, at one time we were not his people. Verse 10 says, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. So again, be a person of praise because he has made us kings and priests. He has washed us in his blood, but also abstain from sin because sin, our fleshly lust, wars against our soul. It has a deeper effect on us than you think it does. It wars against our soul and it will destroy us from the outside in. Right. Sin will destroy you from the outside in. In other words, you commit that outward sin and it wars against your soul. And things are different now. They should be right. And we should now live like things are different. Jesus has made us to God kings and priests. Jesus has made all things new. I'm going to stop here today, but I want to exhort you this morning to take your salvation and work it out with fear and trembling. Be in awe, be, in, um, be amazed at the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And as a result of this amazement, be a person of praise. And remember that you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has washed away our sins. And he therefore should be precious to us. He should be precious to me. And I bring you my gift of teaching you the word of God because he is precious to me. And all of us should live our lives in a manner that he desires for us to live. God wants to use you in his kingdom. Okay. But remember the reason that Jesus shared this revelation with John was so that he could show his servants things which must shortly take place. And if the Lord tarries and we gather next week, we'll study the fact that Jesus is coming again. Verse 7 of Revelation chapter 1, which we'll look at next week, says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Just like it's a fact that he is, just like it's a fact that he was, 
It is a fact that he is coming again. And every eye will see him. So since we know this, since we know that he is coming again, and since we know his great love for us, how then shall we live? How should we be living our lives today? Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for this time of worship. Lord, because that's what it is. When we turn off the rest of the world and we look at your word, when we sing songs of praise and we let the fruit of our lips praise you in song, Lord, this is worship. But Lord, it just doesn't end here, Lord. When we walk out of the door here and we go off into our week, into our job and and back into our own homes, Lord, we are to live it out. We are to be people of praise and worship, Lord. Whatever that might take, Lord. Maybe we need to fill our homes with your word, which of course we do. And we need to fill our homes with songs of praise. But Lord, this is who you have called us to be, Lord. And we should have this desire anyway, Lord, because of all that you have done for us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your precious blood that you have washed away our sins. And Lord, we don't stand here. We don't sit here today in in our own strength. We're not here because of our righteousness or, or because of any one of us or any good at all, Lord. We are here because of you and because you are good. And may we go forward in this week in that strength and in that power, Lord. May we not be a people who just have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. But may we go forth in the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing your presence in our lives, Lord. We just thank you. And praise you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.